My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. Um, Great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for coming on. For the listeners, Karen is the Chief Scientific Officer at Microbiome Labs, and he has generously taken time out of his busy schedule to come to talk to us today about probiotics. So thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's dive right in. I'd love to talk about the importance of probiotics and, you know, kind of what we've seen in the research. I think there are some, you know, different uh, medical professionals that might not believe that we have a lot of evidence to support recommending these to patients, but just curious as to what your take is and based on what you've seen. Yeah. So, and, you know, and and in some ways, those medical professionals are correct, right? So what we have in the marketplace today, so as people go out there searching for the right probiotic, because I think most people are coming to understand that a probiotic is kind of part of fundamental nutrition that they need. Like people used to think of multivitamins a while, you know, some time ago. Um, But what's, what the what what the research looks like is that there's certainly very little research on the vast majority of probiotics that are out there. But some probiotics have a lot of research on just on their strains or the finished product, right? So if you if you look at the store shelves or you look at what you see on the internet, I'd say 98% of the products you have access to don't have much, if any, research at all, right? Mm. They're all kind of formulated based on assumptions and their efficacy is based on assumptions. And that's just, unfortunately, the nature of the supplement industry, right? Most of the companies in the supplement industry don't really do any research. Um, And so those are always questionable. And, you know, I would agree with most doctors because they would question what do those products actually do in your system. But the good news is there are a number of strains and a number of probiotic products that actually have a lot of research uh, on them. And those we understand very well. We know exactly what they do and we know how they help. Um, and we know what kind of people should be taking them and, and so on. So there is that fine line, right? So the vast majority of what you probably Google and look at or go into the store and look and, and have access to does not have any research and you really don't know what it's going to do in your system. So we want to make sure that people understand that there's a very big difference between clinically studied validated probiotics and strains and then most of the other stuff that's out there. Right. Kind of just assumptions. Yeah, assumptions just thrown together. Um, you know, it's the function of probiotics is very strain specific and it's subspecies specific, right? For example, uh, Bifidobacterium longum 35624 is a very specific subspecies of Bifidobacterium longum. And it does some amazing things. There's six, seven published studies on IBS. Uh, a cousin to Bifidobacterium longum 35624 is Bifidobacterium longum 1714. There are seven well-published studies on gut-brain access modulation, so things like stress, mood, sleep, you know, anxiety, those kind of things. Whereas there's a whole bunch of products with just kind of regular Bifidobacterium longum, right, which is not that subtype, but they will use the subtypes research to promote their products. Mm. Right, So that's what people have to be very um, careful about is that they might say, so you might have company A that has a Bifidobacterium longum product 
And online, they might say, you know, 17 studies on anxiety and IBS and blah, blah, but it has nothing to do with their strain, right? It's a sub, the studies are actually done on a different subspecies. And when it comes to bacteria, even with one or 2% genetic differences between strains, it can completely change how they function. Mm. So um, in the case of the Bifidobacterium longum, one of the big differences is the 17, 14, and 35624 versions of the strain have something called an exopolysaccharide, right? There's one gene in that bacteria, in those two microbes, that makes this coating on the outside. And as it turns out, it's the coating that, that provides all of those functionalities that I talked about, right? So you can have a Bifidobacterium longum that doesn't have that one gene, it doesn't make the coating, so it doesn't have any of those functions. Right. But to a regular consumer, they see Bifidobacterium longum and they see, oh, this company is saying the studies uh, are, are there, but the studies are not on their product. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. And the listeners can, you know, we, they can maybe pause and re-listen to it. But, you know, if you kind of think about the supplement industry in general, there there is a lot that you kind of have to educate yourself on in order to become an active consumer and, you know, that's, that's what we're here to do is to educate people to do that. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned different strains. This would be a good time to maybe pop into the different categories of probiotics, right? So there's the spore base. Talk about like the mega spore biotic, which is one that I use a ton in my practice. I've seen great benefits from that. And then I typically talk about the lactobacillus bifido blends and then the yeast um, kind of as the third general category. Yeah. Um, could you talk about the benefits of a spore-based probiotic and you know maybe why that is different from other types of probiotics? Yeah. So spores do some very unique things in the gut that most of the probiotics can't do. Um, and this comes from what our natural relationship with the spores are like, right? So um, if you imagine for the most part of human evolution, we were consuming these spores inadvertently by living off the land, by eating, you know, eating food, uh, digging for roots and tubers, getting dirt in our system, um, drinking waters out of rivers and streams where there's abundant spores in them, or even just breathing the air. The spores aerosolize and they blow through uh, continents, through desert dust and so on. So we have a very intimate relationship with these organisms and have throughout the course of human evolution. Um, and so the way biology works, and, and this is a very important point for people to understand, is that when we look at our own genetics, we are wholly inadequate to, to exist as a species, as a human, right? We barely have any functional genes in our system. We have about 22,000 functional genes in our, in our own genetic um, uh, treasure trove, right? So in our cells, we have 22,000 functional genes. It might sound like a lot, but you compare that to like, an earthworm that has 30,000 functional genes, right? So we are far less sophisticated than an earthworm, uh, but some, when, in, when it comes to genetic capability, but somehow here we are, right? At the top of the food chain, at the top of the uh, evolutionary ladder. And the big reason for that is because we have over two and a half million microbial genes in our system, right? So microbes convey the vast majority of functionalities and processes and metabolic capabilities that is required to be human. And so what has happened over time as we've evolved in this environment, in our, in our natural environment, not in the environment we're in right now, but the environment that the vast majority of humans through the vast majority of uh, evolution were evolved in, 
Um, they develop this symbiotic relationship with organisms in the environment. We pick up capabilities from these organisms, we harbor them, we allow them to stay in the system if they provide us those benefits, right? So it's a really nice mutualistic relationship with organisms. In fact, some of the uh, ideas around how mammals accelerated up the uh, evolutionary ladder in general is because mammals developed the ability to have a fermentive base in mm. the digestive tract, right? Most, a lot of insects and other uh, animals in, in, in different uh, phylum don't have the same capability. We, along with our ruminant cousins and all the cows and all that have this large fermentive base in our colons or in the case of the cows in one of their three stomachs uh, or four stomachs, right? And, and the large fermentive base has a very huge microbial diversity and a huge number of microbes that produce really complex uh, molecules for us and substrates and byproducts and all that that allow us functionality, right? Mm. And, and if it wasn't for that huge fermentive base and that huge rich array of genetic material that we brought into our system through microbes, we wouldn't exist today. So we are in this amazing, beautiful symbiotic relationship with microbes. So spores fit in that paradigm very clearly because they exist in the outside environment. They're ubiquitous out there. They've been in the outside environment way longer than humans have. And over the course of time, as we've consumed them inadvertently, we've developed this wonderful mutualistic relationship where we've outsourced a number of key functions to them. Things that we really can't do ourselves very well that they do for us, right? So let's talk about what some of those things are. So spores, are number one, really good at reading our microbial environment, right? They have the capability of doing something called quorum sensing. When they enter the environment, they can read what kind of microbes are there and at what levels. And they seem to have the intelligence to understand what our microbiome should look like. So if there are other overgrown species, they will actually sit next to them and compete with them and bring their numbers down. They'll even produce things like antimicrobials to bring down the levels of problematic species. They also produce postbiotics and all and other compounds to increase the growth of beneficial organisms, right? So they come in and they orchestrate and they change our microbiome. We've published studies showing that when you add spores into the diet, into the gut microbiome, within three weeks, you can see like a 30% increase in diversity in the microbiome. And we know through all the microbiome studies, that diversity in the gut microbiome is paramount to health, right? We need diversity. Um, we've also seen that when you add spores, you increase the growth of keystone species. And these are really important anaerobic organisms that hold up the rest of the microbiome and are inversely correlated with disease, meaning the higher amounts of these organisms you have, the lower risk you have of chronic illness, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to grow those species on your own. We don't have a natural mechanism where we do that, but the spores have the ability to do that by supporting these organisms, by producing byproducts like lactic acid and producing products like short chain fatty acids and so on, or subtilicin, which acts as like a prebiotic for the good bacteria. Now, the other thing the spores does, so they, they can come in, they can kind of recondition what the ecosystem looks like, right? We mess it up through our use of antibiotics and exposure to chemicals and 
preservatives and the millions of things that we do to harm our microbiome, they come in and they reset it and fix it. In fact, we've actually, we published a study in 2020 showing that when we expose a gut microbiome to a course of antibiotics, as of course, significant dysbiosis that occurs. It starts to look very leaky, the gut uh, of that microbiome, more opportunistic pathogens start to grow. The pH in the environment changes. All these really bad egregious changes start to occur. The moment we throw the spores in within a period of two weeks, it resets the microbiome back to normal, mm. right? So, so they do that really, really well. The other thing that they do that's super important is they increase the expression of tight junction proteins. Right? So those are the proteins that seal up the gut lining. And, when, and those proteins get damaged very easily. Any sort of inflammation or toxicity that enters in through food or environmental particles and all that will damage those proteins and leave, leaves the intestinal epithelium leaky, leaves it open. So the spores, when they enter in, they increase the expression of those proteins so it can stitch up and basically tie down that intestinal epithelium so we reduce the leakiness in the gut. So just those two things alone are super fundamental to maintaining health, improving health, and then also surviving in this highly toxic world that we live in, where we know that most of the things we expose ourselves to, most of the lifestyle choices we make, living in these kind of relatively sterile environments and eating processed food and all that, most of those things harm the microbiome. The spores are fundamental to supporting, helping, resetting the microbiome. Right, so that's a unique, just those two things alone, and they do so many other things, but just those two things alone makes them quite unique because you don't see that in other categories of probiotics. Excellent, wow. And, and, and in terms of colonization, um, you know, are these something that you need to take on a daily basis or is this kind of like a, you know, you do this for a year, two weeks, two months, and your body is now kind of has this foundation and then it's okay to take care of itself. Like what would you, how could you speak to that? Yeah. So um, these are important to take it ongoing because, you know, I, I, I talked about how we develop this, this mutualistic relationship with them, right. Which is important, but that relationship involved daily exposure, right. Because our ancestors ate these things all day long. And so, the natural tendency of the spore in terms of their life cycle in the gut is to be more transient, right? They will establish themselves and stay there for a period of two weeks, three weeks, but then they will move on out because they get spread around the globe through defecation, right? Mm -hmm. So they are designed to go in, clean up things, and then leave through defecation. And, and so the most natural approach to probiotic therapy is something that you get routine exposure to because- okay most probiotics aren't gonna engraft and remain in your gut forever, right? And the ones that promise that they do likely don't have the research to support it because it's, it's really difficult for an outside grown bacteria to establish itself in your gut. Mm -hmm. um, and, and especially if it's a microbe that mimics one of the native species in the gut, because then it's probably competing with one of the native species in the gut, right? So mm -hmm. most of the really effective probiotics tend to be transient. They tend to go in, do a job, and then they will leave or you know diminish at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so at most good probiotics, you, it's something that you would have to take ongoing, especially given the environment that we live in, right? Where we're constantly harming the gut. We're constantly doing things that mess up the microbiome. So we need constant protection and resetting of the microbiome. Sure. That makes complete sense. 
In terms of uh, food sources of these, um, I believe there is only one food source that I've heard of, of spore-based probiotics. Is it natto? Is that that correct? Yeah. So when we think about designed food sources, um, natto is the richest source of the spore-based probiotics because it's, they actually use the spores to ferment the soybean that, that natto is made from. Um, in reality, almost all foods should contain spores, right? Because we're supposed to eat kind of cleaner, non-sterilized foods, right? Uh, and in fact, the number one target in food processing in terms of, of microbial control is to, is to control against spores, right? Because they're so robust and prevalent, right? So if they get into the processing plant, they will grow and everything. And, uh, and then, you know, when the, when the processing plant does their microbial checks, they're going to see high microbial counts, even though that's actually fine, because these are good organisms that you need in your system uh, and, and that we need exposure to from FDA quality standards and all that they can't have above a certain level of any bacteria, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they do something called total plate count. Total plate count just means any growing bacteria. And so if your total plate counts above something called 10 to the four CFUs, and it doesn't matter what that means, it means it's a pretty low level of microbes. If you get any of these uh, environmental bacteria into your system, it's gonna be above that 10 to the four, which means it's, it's contaminated or it's un, uh, unsellable, right? So, um, so unfortunately we don't get the spores like we're supposed to in our diet. Our ancestors got them every day from virtually everything they consumed because these are ubiquitous organisms, you'll find it if you go pick, you know, fruits uh, off of a tree um, and not sterilize it with chlorine and all that, or if you, you know, dig for roots and tubers, or you, you know, plant, you have your own natural garden and you're getting vegetables and all out of it, and you're not sterilizing everything, you may be getting some of the spores. Assuming, of course, the soil you're using is a dead soil, which unfortunately a lot of the soil that we have is also dead at the moment. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of interesting, you know, conversations about that is, you know, things that we are missing from the, the change in the quality of the soil, certain nutrients and things like that. But I think in terms of the microbiome, that becomes a, a very important conversation. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. The microbiome of the soil is directly reflective of what your microbiome of your gut looks like, right? Because in two ways. Number one, the soil is a, um, a source of microbial exposure for us. And microbial exposure is a good thing, even though 99.9% of the microbes in the soil that naturally live in the soil don't necessarily act as probiotics with the exception of some of these spores that we talked about. Um, just exposure to them is a beneficial thing. But more importantly, microbes in the soil change the quality of the plants that we eat, right? So for example, broccoli that's found today has 50% the nutritional value as broccoli that was grown 30 years ago, mm-hmm. right? And that's purely because of the uh, microbiome uh, of the soil that it's being grown in. The soil today is you know, severely depleted of microbial life. We're doing studies on things like lettuce plants, uh, hemp, and all that where we're inoculating the roots of the plant or we're inoculating the soil prior to planting. And what we see is that when you inoculate the plant root or you inoculate the soil versus the control, you see number one, the plants grow almost twice as fast, especially when we look at things like hemp Um, and the, the color is completely different and the nutritional value is completely different. The ability of the plant to assimilate things like 
you know, sulfur and selenium and all these kind of uh, compounds dramatically increases. The root of the plant is very much like the intestinal lining in the gut, right? There is an ecosystem on the root of the plant and the plant in fact produces compounds to try to attract certain microbes to colonize the root because some of those microbes help metabolize and fix new micronutrients to make it more available to the plant, right? Mm -hmm. And so if the plant is being planted in relatively dead soil, which a lot of our, our growing soil is right now relatively dead, then the plant's not getting all of that, uh, the benefit. It's kind of like you are trying to raise a child that is depleted of a microbiome, right? That's that, what uh, I was just thinking of exactly, as you said that, right? yeah. And you know that child is going to have uh, defects in their growth, right? They can't assimilate nutrients. They can't break things down. They can't produce byproducts that we need, that we count on the microbes to produce for us that we can't get from our diet. So that child is going to have all kinds of complications. Same thing, the plants that we're planting today and we're growing are attenuated and, and, and defective in many ways because they don't have the right type of microbiome, right? So hmm. it becomes so important for us. And that's a bigger picture issue, right? Like, what do we do about the dead soil that we're dealing with? There is the, the, the movement of biodynamic farming, which is super important, right? It goes well beyond organic farming. Organic farming is wholly inadequate for that. It's a better choice than regular farming, right? So if we could choose organic, we should do that because it's actually, it's reducing a lot of the most egregious chemicals that we use. But really the next step is the biodynamic side of it where you're trying to bring life back to the soil before planting things in it. All of that is said to emphasize that supplementation with microbes becomes extremely important, right? Because if the microbe didn't get adequate exposure, or sorry, if the broccoli didn't get adequate exposure to the right microbes during its growth, there are lots of things that the broccoli may end up missing because the microbes weren't there to metabolize certain compounds and provide the broccoli with nutrients, right? At the same time, when you consume that broccoli, if you consume the right microbe with it, the microbe can metabolize components of the broccoli in your digestive tract and produce some of those missing compounds mm. in your gut itself, right? So your gut becomes the fermentive um, you know, chamber to create all of those important nutrients that were missing uh, and not being created in the soil. That's awesome. And the, the root addressing that you're doing, like in research, I think is fantastic, right? Because you know, in the health and wellness, we'll call it that industry, uh, we see a lot of this like, you know, treatment management or supplementing with this or supplementing with that, finding a deficiency and specifically treating that. And, you know, a big part of my practice with one-on-one -on -one clients is, you know, how can we get to the root cause? And it sounds like, you know, what you've done in terms of, you know, creating this, this, this spore-based probiotic and, and the research that we've seen, it sounds like it's, it's not just kind of putting a bandaid on it. It's actually going in there, re-inoculating something that actually should have been there mm -hmm. and creating a, an environment and this symbiotic relationship was, it's just fascinating to me to learn about, right? How, you know, we can coexist and enhance the health of each other, which is, is fascinating to me. It is. Yeah. And, um, one of the things that kind of blows my mind about it is, you know, one, I think the part of it is the simplicity of it, right? It's um, like the way, what I always said about our approach to things is we are just smart enough to, to 
study and understand what nature has already provided us, right? We don't need to engineer anything and try to outsmart nature and create organisms and very special delivery systems and this and that to, to try to outsmart or somehow circumvent the natural processes. What we have to do is just understand what is naturally supposed to happen or should be there and then put it back, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you look at these organisms, these spores that we work with, I, I mentioned those root studies that we're doing in the, in the inoculating soil and all that. We're using the same organisms to inoculate roots and soil of plants and showing a dramatic change in their ability to grow as we are in humans to resolve leaky gut, right? The same bacteria can stop our leaky gut, you know, change the course of things like rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, acne, which we recently completed a publication on. Um, and, and the same organism can improve the growth of a plant, right? So it just tells you their utility and how important they are and that every living thing, whether you're a human or a plant, right, requires the same thing. And the reason we require the same thing is we evolved in the same environment and we evolved with the same biological principles of symbiosis with the natural environment, right? And microbes rule the natural environment. There are more microbes on this earth than anything else on the earth, right? And microbes were here at least two or three billion years before we were. And so they kind of know what's going on and they wrote the rules of what happens at a cellular level. Even though we think we're really cool because we're multicellular organisms and they are just a single cell, they wrote the rules on how our cells function. You right? should have like a t-shirt slogan that says like, respect the microbes. <laughs> exactly, right. We have a lot of ego about being as cool as we think we are. But at the end of the day, every one of our cells contains an ancient pleiotropic bacteria, right? Our cells come from bacteria. And so bacteria have written the rules of how all of these things function. We just have to be smart enough to put those bacteria back into our cells and, and gain exposure to them again, right? Which, you know, we inevitably haven't done uh, well in our normal lifestyle. Absolutely. I want to come back to a few points that you mentioned that tie into some questions that I had that I know the listeners will absolutely benefit from because I hear this a lot from clients. Um, timing of probiotics. So you mentioned that, you know, these are microbes that we should be, you know, relatively receiving through the soil, which we're not because of the soil quality. Uh, the research that I've seen, I, I looked at one study in 2011, they had found that probiotics given 30 minutes um, before a meal or at the be beginning were much more likely to survive than given 30 minutes after eating. And when I read that, and then when you said what you said about how it's something we're supposed to be getting from the plants, it makes sense to me that we would be receiving these. But can you talk about the timing of probiotics? When's the best time to take um, maybe specifically a spore-based probiotic? Yeah. Um, so my philosophy, so as a microbiologist, and my philosophy when it comes to especially micro, microbial therapeutics, right? So using microbes in a therapeutic sense is that it should in many ways mimic what should naturally be happening, right? And know that our ancestors did not have the capability of going, I'm gonna get exposed to that microbe just 30 minutes before I dig for this root and eat it, right? Or I'm gonna clean the root and save the soil for 30 minutes after, like, you know, the, we, we didn't have that luxury, right? We got our microbes while we were consuming food. And when I first got into the probiotic industry 15 years ago, the thing I commonly heard was, 
take the probiotics in between meals, right? So things like that, or cycle probiotics and all of these kind of things that people were following. And I started digging into it and going, why are they doing this? Like, what is the research to support whether you take it in between meals or with meals? Basically, the, the timing of probiotic issue, the, the whole conversation around in between meals or with meals came about because companies are using wholly inadequate bacteria, right? Mm-hmm. So bacteria that just aren't designed to survive through the gastric system because they're not designed to be probiotics. They're not designed to be oral probiotics that you take in. The majority of lactobacillus and bifidobacteria species aren't really designed to leave the body and come back in, right? Um, there are some that are, and there's there are some that work well when they're dead, and we can talk about those specific species. There are some that have certain unique coatings, like the bifidobacterium longum I talked about earlier. So they have unique features about them that allow them to be ingested and, and, and still function. But most uh, of those lactobifido strains, they can't survive through the gastric system and through bile salts and all that. So then the the workaround for it was do it in between meals when you're not releasing a bunch of HCL and bile and so on, which kills these microbes, right? So that was the whole and only reason for recommending probiotics on an empty stomach or in between meals, right? So now when it comes to what is the right timing, when when we do our studies and we've published on Megaspore that you mentioned, uh, we've published you know, 11 studies so far. And we very specifically do not provide any direction as to what time of day uh, to take it. We only tell them, take it with the meal, uh, if they remember. And we say, if you forget, you can take it after. That's fine, right? We want to maintain flexibility in that because what we want in our study is a diversity of using uses, mm. right? Because naturally that's what's going to happen. If you take a hundred people and you say, take this product every day, 30 minutes before a meal, maybe 10% will actually do it that way. The rest of them will do it some variation of that, right? As they remember. So any good probiotic, you should be able to take it with the meal, during the meal, right before, right after. It shouldn't matter. That microbe should be able to function uh, with food typically, um, or if you have to take it on an empty stomach, it should still provide you some function, but most good probiotics should function with food, right? Because that's the most natural way of getting microbes in. You're consuming them when you consume food. That makes a lot of sense, the way that nature had intended. Exactly, you know. Now, you mentioned the specific strains that do provide benefit. Is it, do we have time to, for you to speak to some of those or is that yeah. kind of like a whole, okay, that would be awesome. Yeah, we can touch on that. So, so here's how I see categories of probiotic. Um, we talked about the spore-based probiotics. They are to me, um, and why our company even exists, right? So we were looking at what are the biggest problems we want to solve when it comes to the gut and gut health. Um, the biggest problem we wanted to solve was leaky gut, right? That is like at the root cause of the vast majority of chronic conditions. If it's not the cause of the chronic condition, it's the reason why the chronic conditions are getting better, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's the biggest thing. And, and, our, and our best option for uh, helping with leaky gut are the spore-based probiotics because of the things I talked about earlier, increasing diversity, increasing these keystone species, which protect against leakiness in the gut, increasing the tight junction proteins. So it actually seals up the gut. So when we, when we launched uh, Megasporbiotic, the first study that we did 
was a leaky gut study that was kind of a landmark study, got published in a major gastroenterology journal because it showed in 30 days that it could resolve this leaky gut issue, right? So that is one category of probiotics. It's foundational probiotics that you need on a daily basis for basic nutrition and basic protection. Then you have the kind of what I call the hodgepodge of of kitchen sink formulas. These are products that are just thrown together, lots of different lacto and bifido. Most of them are research strains. So you don't really know what's going on. Most of those follow the old adage or the existing adage of how you formulate a probiotic product, which is just more is better. You know, Let's get more strains in there, more CFUs. And I can tell you there's no scientific validation to 100 billion CFUs being better than 50 billion. You know, It doesn't make a difference. The spores are at four billion, and there I could tell you know there's so much more effective than a hundred billion CFU product that all just dies in the stomach, right? So people need to be careful of those kind of hodgepodge kits and sink formulas. The big question is, is there research on the finished formula, right? So if it's a if it's a formulated probiotic with multiple strains in it, then having research on each individual strain by itself doesn't necessarily mean when you put them all together. That the, that the effect is additive, right? In fact, some of these strains may compete with each other. You don't know that, right? Until you study the whole formula. So we've got the spore-based probiotics, then we've got kind of the hodgepodge that's out there. Uh, that's the, the majority of the probiotics you find. And then there's the probiotics that have single strains in them. And each of these single strains have a dramatic amount of research on them, right? Like, and we use some of these single strains for specific therapeutics. And more often than not, the single strains have um, you know, a narrow uh, band of functionality, but they're very effective for that function. Like the uh, bifidolongum 35624 strain I mentioned, it's got tons of studies on controlling IBS symptomology and the, infl <clears throat> the inflammation and, you know, other problems that are associated with IBS and, and the symptomology associated with it. So that one strain is really good for that one condition. Right, the 1714 strain, which we use a lot for gut-brain therapeutics, that strain is really good for controlling cortisol and mood changes and dealing with stress. And then it also has two published studies on sleep. Right, so it has a kind of a narrow band of activity. Then there are strains like LGGI, uh, which is a uh, another lactobacillus. There's another one that we use a lot. In, in certain products called Acidophilus DDS1 that has women's health um, studies associated with it on vaginal health, for example. So those are single strain, sometimes it's two species in one, and those species have a very narrow band of, of uh, functionality. So you would use those if those functionalities are relevant to your health, right? So mm -hmm. I'm somebody that's walking around and I have IBS issues, right? I would use a spore-based probiotic as part of my fundamental uh, you know, support of the gut. And then I would use that specific 3,5,6,2,4 to strain to control those IBS-like symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So then I've, I'm done. I'm good with my probiotics and the rest of microbiome health, I'm working on my diet, I'm working on what I'm eating, right? Prebiotics and other compounds that support the microbiome. That's excellent. That is very helpful. I hope that everyone is taking notes here because this is great information. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you mentioned prebiotics. Do you feel like people need to be taking a prebiotic supplement in order to receive optimal benefits? I, 
I personally take the approach of eating prebiotics with most of my clients, um, unless there is, you mentioned certain situations where somebody might have, you know, something like diarrhea or what have you, then yes, we might add in a prebiotic supplement. But for the most part, I recommend clients consuming probiotic, prebiotic rich foods. Yeah. So I think prebiotic rich foods have to be a fundamental part of health, right? We just, you really need prebiotic rich foods and you need a diversity of prebiotics in those foods. You need soluble, insoluble fibers, you know, um, fructo-oligosaccharides, galacto-oligosaccharides. You, may, you need a different variety of oligosaccharides. We use prebiotics therapeutically in people that have low levels of keystone species, especially, right? So, and, and that becomes harder to do in, in a precise manner through food. So, and, and the way you will know if you have low levels of certain keystone species is either A, based on the conditions you're dealing with, or B, because you've done a, an actual functional microbiome analysis, right? Um, so for example, if you are struggling with metabolic health, like you're pre-diabetic or you've got weight issues and, and so on, and you're, you have low acromancia because acromancia it protects against all of those conditions, right? And it's inversely correlated. Then you want to focus on growing acromantia and increasing the relative abundance of acromantia in your system. There are dietary sources of that. So you can do things like polyphenols in your diet. You can increase, um, you know, especially red polyphenols, things from like red berries, cherries, raspberries, things like that. Those sources of polyphenols can be important, but we want to get somewhere around five, 600 grams a day of those polyphenols. And it may be hard for people to do that in a very precise manner. So then you can take a, um, a prebiotic that's designed to increase acromancia and add that mm -hmm. to your daily supplementation. Same thing with fecalum bacteria prosnitsi. If you have inflammatory conditions in your bowel, this important keystone species protects against all types of inflammatory conditions in the bowel. So you want it to be able to take a, a precise prebiotic that supports fecalum bacteria growth. So you're in that case, you're thinking about a prebiotic in a therapeutic manner, right? Mm -hmm. So you can think about prebiotics that way and, and utilize them as needed based on your condition. But in general health, the most important thing is getting the prebiotic foods uh, yes. and, and a good diversity of them. You know, that's, that's where you gain the, the big general health benefits. Absolutely. And I love, I love stool testing or microbiome testing. It's been mm -hmm. fantastic in my practice. Awesome. So we have covered so many different things today already. Um, I have one question to end off with, but I will say, is there any advice that you have for consumers about, um, you know, in terms of things to watch out for in the industry, it sounds like, you know, we need to be educated, active consumers, but anything specific that you would say, you know, be very careful about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so number one, I think everybody should either get, should get their supplement recommendations either from programs like this, right? Because you have a knowledge and background to vet things and read research and think about the products that actually have validation. You bring experts on, guests that can validate what, what, what's out there in the research world um, versus just kind of going to Google or walgreens.com or you know, the big box stores and just picking something, right? So it makes a big difference. Not all probiotics are created equal. Most of them really don't do anything or we don't know what they do, right? But the researched ones are highly effective, right? So you can either be spending your time and money on something that's just doing absolutely nothing for you or 
with a little bit of background, listening to programs like this, you know, talking to your doctors, if hopefully it's a functional medicine doctor, you can get a product that will actually change your life, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's worth that additional work and research to spend time to pick the things that actually will make a difference to you. And I can tell you that when you do find the right products, when you do find efficacious products, they are life-changing in many ways, right? Versus just the nonsense that you can end up buying. So that's one really important message. Um, the, the, the second important message when it comes to um, supplementation and it comes to probiotics and all that, when people think about that is price matters, right? And, and I, uh, you know, this is an interesting commercial aspect of it. And I always didn't have this view until I got into the behind the scenes parts of developing products. Um, the reason why some products can be sold at nine bucks and some products are at 50 bucks, it's not because the $50 product is like, we're just gonna try to get 10 times more profit. So we're just pricing it at this, right? And the $9 one is like, no, we're very good conservative company. So we want, to make it affordable for people. No, that's not at all what it is. There is a significant difference in cost in terms of the quality of the materials that go into the product, right? Whether the materials are researched, how much quality is, is taken, how much care is taken in producing the products in terms of its safety and contamination and all of that stuff, it really matters. Right. So if people are price shopping out there, you know, because I've heard so many people go, oh, I take a probiotic every day. I go, well, what do you take? When well, they take a probiotic gummy that's $9.99 for 700 gummies, you know, and I'm like, OK, that's not doing anything for you, you know. Yeah. So so be conscious of that. Right. You really get what you pay for in the supplement industry. I've seen now over the last 18 years of being in the industry that. Uh, when you have discrepancy in pricing, it's not because one person's trying to gouge you and the other is trying to be really cognizant of, of value. It's what costs are associated with producing the product. And the cost associated with producing the product is directly related to the value that the product has. You know, research stuff, stuff with high quality and all that really costs more. Um, so people should be conscious of that because I think people get this sense that oh, I feel fine because I feel good about my choices because I'm taking a probiotic, I'm taking a multivitamin, but all of it is from the big box store for $9 and $8 in a, and it's doing nothing for you. You're better off not even taking those things. So listen to programs like this, you know, get educated. You have to be empowered with information to impact your own health, right? Because we can't lean on the system to keep us healthy and make us healthy, right? You can't lean on your doctor to keep you healthy, right? You go to your doctor when something goes wrong for the most part, but all in between all those visits, it's up to you, right? And you have to get educated on it. So hopefully these people, you know, pay more attention to programs like this and get the information they need. Excellent. Well, thank you for donating your time and providing such amazing value to my listeners. Now, the most important question of the episode is what is your favorite childhood memory with food? Oh, with food. Um, I love that question. So I have so much. So I grew up in India and Malaysia, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and before moving to the state. So as you can imagine, India and Malaysia have a completely different dietary experience and food associated with it and all that. And then, uh, and compared to the US. Um, one of my favorite ways of eating, which I learned when I moved to India from Malaysia, 
was in, especially at events like weddings and all that, is you sit down on the floor and you eat with your hands and you eat off of a banana leaf, right? Love that. It's so great because number one, there's something different about how the food tastes and the experience of just sitting there in a community of people. You sit in like a big long line and then they do, the cooks that made all the food like off of a log fire with a big giant pot, they come around and they put, you know, dollops of each of the different things. There's usually seven, eight different things, including some rice and lentils and all that on the, on the, on your plate, on the banana leaf uh, that you eat and you eat with your hands and it's all messy and drippy, but it's so good, right? It's so fresh and it's just Mm. made and all of the ingredients have come from gardens and all of that. So it's so organic and it's such a natural way of just sitting on the ground and eating around people your family and friends and then here's the best part about it right so once you're done with it everyone takes their banana leaves which has all this residue of food on it and just throws it in a pile in the corner and then here comes these cows that come and eat all the banana leaves and then there's no waste there's nothing all you have left are empty pots that are going to wow. get right. So I just I love that experience. It just made so much sense to me. Then nowadays, when you see in the modern world, like all of the waste and the plastic and all from like you order one 99 cent meal at a fast food restaurant that will that will stay on the shelf for five years and never get spoiled. Right. That was made in a factory somewhere. And you think about all the plastic and packaging and all that comes with just that one cheap a non-nutritious, unhealthy meal, and then you throw it away in a, and it goes in a landfill and you just think about that system and you think about that organic experience, right? And it, it just, it, it blows my mind how far we've come uh, from what is naturally should be done. We should all be eating that way. I'd love to move to wherever that is and just, yeah, that is beautiful. The connection to not just the food, but the family, the community, the earth, that's, that's probably one of the best responses I've heard and best memories. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. All right. Well, it was so wonderful having you on, Karen. It was um, a pleasure. I'm sure everyone learned a great deal about probiotics and I'll be sure to link, um, you know, all of your information in the show notes, but thank you so much again for coming on and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me or signing up for my group coaching program, you can go to nutritionrewired.com to schedule a discovery call. You can also purchase a stool test on my website. Now, this is something we did discuss in this episode, and you do not have to be a client to purchase a stool test. If you enjoy these episodes, please like, subscribe, comment. It absolutely means the world to me and helps support the free content. And as always, don't forget to share the health.